It's time for Bible College by Radio, brought to you direct from the campus of African Bible College. Of the mighty Red Sea, and he says, I believe you, put your trust in me. And now for today's lesson, let's join Mrs. Nell Chinchin. Welcome to Bible College by Radio. As we come to the very last chapter in this wonderful book of Hebrews, we have certainly learned many, many valuable lessons in faith. And now this last chapter, chapter 13, gives us some very practical lessons on how to put our faith into action. Today we're going to be talking about love for the brethren, marriage, and even obedience to the government and authorities over us. So I know that you will want to stay with us for this next half hour that you may see what it is that God requires of his children. But first, Ganmo Don is here to help us with a review of our last lesson, Lesson 17, which was Chapter 12 in this book of Hebrews. Our last lesson was entitled, Running the Race. Ganmo, did you learn anything about how to run the race of faith? I certainly did, Mrs. Chinchin. I think the most important thing we learned in our last lesson about running the race of faith was that we must lay aside every weight or hindrance that would slow us down. What were some of those weights that we talked about, Gawo? Well, we said that anything that took our time or attention away from God could be a weight. Things like worldly friends, secular literature, and entertainment. All these could be weights if we let them occupy our minds and our time. We did see a remedy, Ganwo, and what was that? We said that if we keep our eyes on Jesus, it will help us to lay aside these weights that hold us back from running the race. The scriptures gave us a warning, using one particular man as an example for us not to follow. Who was that? That was Esau. Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. <laughs> he didn't think about the spiritual blessings. He just wanted his physical needs to be satisfied. These witnesses now, this cloud of witnesses that we read about in verse 1 of chapter 12, was referring to all the heroes of faith that had gone before us. Uh, these are the ones that should be an example, weren't they? What did we say the Greek word for witness was, Ganwo? The word martyr means witness in the, uh, in the Greek, Mrs. Chinchin. And I'm sure that that is because those early Christians many times were killed when they witnessed for Christ. That's true, Ganwo. Now, we also talked about chastening and how it is necessary for God to chasten his children. 
He uses many different ways to do this, sicknesses, financial problems, loss of jobs, but always with the intention of helping us to be more of what he wants us to be. Also, after the chastening is over, we feel better ourselves because often it has helped us to overcome some sin in our lives that had been weighing us down and keeping us from running the race. Now our lesson today is going to show us more of what God requires of us. But first, Gan, well, I'd like you to share that letter with us. Do us. Dear Reverend Chin Chin, Peace be unto you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. How are you and how is your family? I hope that you, will, you are all doing well. I am writing this letter to get an information about the Bible College. I am planning to be one of your students through correspondence. Most of the time I listen to your Bible messages when I tune my radio and through these messages I have come to realize that Jesus Christ is my Savior. I have been planning to take Bible lessons but because the king of the evil world called Satan has been always busy working in my heart I have not been able to do so. Since I know now for myself that the power of Satan cannot rule the whole world, I have decided to take Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. I believe now that when Jesus has not entered your life, it is completely empty. My life was empty, but now my life is filled with joy. Reverend Chin Chin, I am kindly asking you to enroll me as one of your students. I will be glad to be enrolled as one of your students. Please try to help me. If I have to pay any fees for the course, I will try my best to pay because I am very anxious to do the courses. Therefore, I am patiently waiting and willing to hear from you. Until I hear from you, may God richly bless you and your family, hopefully yours. Well, thank you, Gan. Well, that certainly is a very fine letter. And as he studies in Bible College by radio, he'll be learning more uh, and more about the scriptures and be able to pass on to others the good news, uh, perhaps in different ways that, that are understandable to other people. So we certainly uh, do appreciate that letter and hope that he will be able to participate with us in the correspondence courses. All right, let's look, look together uh, to the Lord in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to you, we just do thank you for these who have written, taken the time to write us a letter and uh, spend the money that it takes for mailing. And we just in, uh, appreciate that here at African Bible College. And we would pray your blessing upon this one who has written and encourage him in, in his future life. And now we pray that you will open up our eyes and give us understanding of this wonderful word that's before us today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now let us uh, open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13 and let us uh, read now about uh, your passport. Oh wait, Mrs. Chin Chin, did you say passport? Or did you make a mistake? No, Gamo. Uh, you didn't realize that you need a passport to get to heaven, did you? Well, believe it or not, you do. You may think your local immigration bureau is strict, but God's is even more so. What we're going to see, Gamo, is that holiness is God's passport to heaven. Now, don't say impossible until we finish our lesson. We're going to be looking at some different things 
that we should do not to earn our salvation there's no way we can do that but certain things that need to be stamped in our passport first of all we're told in verse 1 of chapter 13 now let brotherly love continually continue brotherly love love for our fellow believers is one thing that will never never change now I, I don't mean that you will never disagree with another Christian brother but even as you disagree there will still be that love look over at 1st John uh, chapter 3 and uh, then we'll look at 1st John uh, chapter 4 but we have some very uh, important uh, verses here for us to read we read that uh, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loves not his brethren abides in death. Whosoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And then verse 16 says, Hereby we perceive that the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, we ought also to lay down our lives for the brethren. And then in 1 John chapter 4, uh, beginning with verse 7, we read, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Uh, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not knoweth not God, for God is love. And then we read that he that uh, in this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him here in his love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time, but if we love one another, God dwells in us, and his love is perfected in us. And then look down at verse 20 of that same chapter 4. If a man say, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he that loves not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loves God will love his brother also. Now I can see that love for the brethren is really important. And one way it seems is that we are always ready to entertain strangers. And that we read in our chapter today, verse 2. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Hebrews really keeps impressing on us the reality of angels, doesn't it? This is probably referring specifically to the time back in uh, Genesis, you know. We read about Abraham and Sarah entertaining those three men and later discovered that they were angels. Uh, God, well, why don't you turn back to Genesis chapter 18 and uh, read those first few verses for us in that chapter. And we can see uh, what uh, happened to Abraham and Sarah in case our listeners have forgotten. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre. And he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked. And lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. 
and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, and I will fetch a morsel of bread, and comfort ye your hearts. After that ye shall pass on. For therefore are ye come to your servants. And they said, So do as thou hast said. Oh, the thing that impresses us is that a reward was given them uh, and many others who they took uh, in God's, that took in God's people. Now we're also told to remember the prisoners. Look in verse uh, 3. Remember them that are in bonds, is bound with them, and them who suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Now remember when Jesus was talking to his disciples and he told uh, this parable back in Matthew 25, Aganwo, mm-hmm. do you want to read that for us, that parable in Matthew 25, beginning with verse 31, I believe. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was an hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee an hungered, and feed thee? and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say unto uh, also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was an hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick, and ye and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall this say also say unto him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee an hungered and a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of these, the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Mm-hmm. Again, we see, don't we, Gonwell, the importance of getting our kindnesses to those in affliction stamped in our passports. Now, just like the letter that James wrote, this 13th chapter of Hebrews just jumps around to different, different subjects. Now, verse 4 uh, in Hebrews 13 is, turns now to talk about marriage. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Now, plainly, we see that God honors the institution of marriage. 
and that is why we call it holy matrimony. What are some of the reasons, Gonwall, that you think God established matrimony? Well, I think first of all, for the propagation of the human race. He told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. Children are a blessing from God, we read in Psalms, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Now that is a very important purpose, isn't it? Another is found in 1 Corinthians 7, 2, to avoid fornication. Let every man have his own wife, and let every woman her own husband. And I think another reason, Mrs. Chinchin, is what we read in Genesis 2, 18, that it is not good for man to be alone. Men and women need one another to share the problems and fears of life together. That's true, Ganwo, and certainly to share the joys as well. So we see that marriage is ordained of God, and it is important that each person find the mate that God has created just for him. You young people really need to be much in prayer that God will lead you to the right person that he has prepared for you. Marriage is holy honorable and ordained by God. Let us look to him to encourage our young people to keep themselves pure until such a time as they are ready for holy matrimony. Now verse 5 once again takes us to another subject and here we find we're talking about covetousness. Let your manner of life be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have for he has said I will never leave you or forsake you, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do to me. Now I think we see an interesting word here in connection with covetousness, and that is contentment. Be content with what you have. If you are satisfied with the things that God has given you, then you will not always be looking around to see if someone else has more than you do. Uh, Mrs. Chinchin, some of the versions read, Be free from the love of money. Well, that's right, Ganwo, but people covet more than money. Sometimes it is another's position. It is any desire for something someone else has, a lusting after another's property or possessions. And I'm thinking about King Ahab, you know, and the way he coveted the vineyard of Naboth. He was a king who had everything, and yet he desired this one farm. And when Naboth wouldn't sell it to him, he had him killed so he could take it. And I guess it was that same sin of coveting that caused David to kill Uriah so he could get his wife. Yes, Ganwo, covetousness is a terrible sin. And that is why we find it among the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt not covet. But as we said, contentment with what has been allotted us by God is a great deterrent to covetousness. And if we really trust God, we will trust Him to supply all our needs, as He has promised. As we read at the close of verse 5, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Do we believe that? Can we boldly say... As we read in verse 6, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. You know, if we trust God, then we will also trust those that he has put over us. Remember now, it is God who sets up one and puts down another. And so verse 7 tells us to respect our leaders. Look at verse 7 in chapter 13 of Hebrews, for those of you that may have tuned in late to us. 
Remember them who have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their manner of life. Now here he is referring specifically to the church leaders who teach the word of God, that, that to imitate their faith, and especially to remember Jesus Christ. And then verse 8 says, and this is a tremendous reminder to us, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is always the same. He never changes. And it is because of his unchangeableness that we are urged to live this life in faith, by faith, and with the faith of Christ himself. And we should have that same stability in our Christian life, not always going this way and that way, as we read in verse 9. Be not cared about with various and strange and different, different doctrines, you know. For it's a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with foods which have not profited them that have been occupied with them. What do you think it means here, Mrs. Chinchi? Diverse doctrines. Is that different teachings from what Christianity teaches? That's right, Ganwo. If our heart is established on the changeless Christ, we will not be tossed about with every changing religion that comes around. Now, once again, we see these next verses are changing the subject again to see how a Christian should worship. Uh, if you look now at verse 10, we have an altar of which they have no right to eat who serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to share, forget not. For with what sacrifices God is well pleased. Now the sacrifice of praise to God is what pleases him. All the blood of those animals in the Old Testament did not completely satisfy God. It took the blood of his own dear son. I see another thing too, Mrs. Chinchin. Those Old Testament offerings were physical. Our offering today to God is spiritual. That's true. And this is why we talked about the sacrifice of praise. God is more interested in the condition of our heart. I like that verse in Psalms 34, Mrs. Chinchin, where it says... I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That is a good verse, Ganwo, and really does express our thankfulness to the Lord. You know, Ganwo, when you think about it, being thankful for the blessings that God has given you really is important. If we have thanksgiving in our hearts, we cannot feel bitter or rebellious. There's really nothing sweeter than a person who has a heart full of praise. I remember one time when we were visiting in the States, and it was uh, a big 4th of July celebration celebrating the 100-year centennial that the States had been independent. 
and everybody was buying these fireworks to celebrate the big occasion. Well, we took our twin sons, Paul and Palmer. They were about 12 years old at that time. And their daddy uh, took them to one of these stands where they were selling the firecrackers and all the sparklers and the things, you know, and he bought them some. And when he gave them each a handful, they looked up at their daddy and they smiled and they said, Oh, thank you, daddy. Thank you. And the lady that was behind the stand said, You know, sir, I've been here selling these things all day. And lots of parents have bought their children uh, here and uh, brought their children here and, and bought these fireworks for them. But these are the first children I've heard say thank you. Now, isn't that amazing? But, you know, I have to say, our boys do have a thankful spirit. They appreciate every little thing that we do for them. Of course, they were raised in the bush of Africa down in the forest where they could not have a lot of things, maybe that children uh, have who've lived in the city, but they are thankful. They never get up from a meal that I've cooked without saying, Oh, thank you, Mother, that was good. Well, you know, this is what God wants us to be like toward Him. When we sit down to eat our food, we should thank God, even if it's dry rice. Without that dry rice, we would starve. But sometimes, instead of a thankful spirit, we have a complaining spirit. I have heard, Mrs. Chin Chin, that a good way to praise God is to sing to Him. Like what we read in Psalms. I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Yes, Ganmo, God enjoys our singing, even if it's out of tune. A person can hardly have a complaining spirit and be singing at the same time. Now, as we read in verse 16, God also wants us to do good things for each other, to do good things and to share forget-not. But with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Now, this, too, is to be a part of the Christian life. To help those who are sick, who are hungry, who are without the simple necessities of life. In other words, to love our neighbor as ourselves, And that's just what we read in 1 John, isn't it, Ganwo? Yes. In 1 John uh, 3, 18. And it says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. All right, a lot of 1 John and the book of James as well is encouraging us in our thoughtfulness of others. And this is the Christian way. The Christian life is an unselfish life. It is a life that is always looking out for others. And as Jesus himself said, As you have done unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Now, we could now... I uh, have another uh, admonition to the Christian. Now notice that this 13th chapter of Hebrews is really showing us how the Christian should live so as to please God. And verse 17 tells us that an another way that we honor God is by honoring those who have the authority over us. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, and for that would be unprofitable for you. Now here we're talking primarily about those who are our spiritual leaders. In every orderly society, there must be rulers, someone in positions of leadership to give guidance and direction. 
If we do not have that, things would be chaotic. And sometimes people, even Christians, will rebel against those in authority over them. And that can bring plenty confusion. Verses 18 and 19 give us a little bit more instruction about this. Pray for us, for we for we trust we have a good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. But I beseech you the rather to do this, that I may be restored to you sooner. Now here we're told to not only obey our spiritual leaders, but to pray for them. If we do this, things will go well for us and for them. I can suddenly see that that is important, Mrs. Chinchin. Whenever there is confusion and palaver in the church, it is usually because some of the people in the church have refused to accept their spiritual leaders. They do not submit to his authority, and they do not even pray for him. I can see that uh, this is really bad for the church. So true, Ganwo. Now, these closing verses this, of this wonderful book of Hebrews is a prayer. And this particular prayer is often used by pastors as a benediction. And I'm sure that many of you are familiar with it. If you look at verse 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Well, thank you, friends, for listening again to Bible College by Radio. May God bless you and keep you in all your ways. Towards her, on the mighty red sea.